because we live in a Puritan police state, we are obliged to inform you that we may sometimes use explicit language. Now that you've been informed, <laughs> things are about to get weird. Hey, and welcome to What I Had Heard Was. I am Jennifer. And I'm Anna. And today, this topic, if you do not know it, you are doomed to repeat it. We are talking about history today. Excellent. And we have with us a self-proclaimed history expert. Uh, her name is Manda Lampson. I'm very excited. Hello. Hello. Hi. Uh, so, Manda, what are your qualifications for being a self-proclaimed expert? And that's just what we say. You don't necessarily have to consider yourself an expert. That's just what we're calling you. So, you've got cred. Awesome. Um, I actually have a bachelor's degree in um, history, um, and it was dual uh, U.S. and British history, dual majors. Excellent. So you're, an, I, you're officially an expert. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I have uh, 21 years doing uh, reenacting. That's very impressive. So what is it about uh, U.S. and British history that got you so excited to study all about it? I think some of it is the nostalgia of it and you know you always hear the good old days kind of thing and you know it was always better then or you know life was simpler and you start looking at it and you realize it really wasn't it was just a different kind of crap right (laughs) or a different kind of awesome depending on your point of view that's fair yeah yeah but it's it's kind of interesting to learn you know where we have come from both as Family genealogy kind of stuff, like, you know, looking where my family came mostly from Germany, but we had some English and some Welsh and some Irish in there. And how does that develop into the structure that my family is in now? You know, how did that influence the way we live? Um, But also just as a society and a species of how have we evolved through the years from the medieval times where people bathed once a month, if you were lucky, to you know, now, and everybody's got showers in their houses, and they bathe every day, and... Some yeah. some people still bathe only once a month. Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking general purposes. Well, we hope. We, we hope. Where you have the ability to shower every day. Right. There you go. The ability to do it. Yeah. Whether you do or not, that's still, that's still a little contentious, but... Guys, if you can't shower today, that's okay. Just hang in there. Try again tomorrow. <laughs> Corey will shower like twice a day, you know, sometimes three times. It's a little obsessive, but, you know. Yeah, that's a little obsessive. I'd be like, princess, water bill. <laughs> well, he pays the water bill, so I'm not complaining. <laughs> I would st- I still say stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, so, um, with American and British history, then, so I'm assuming uh, you are... In the Revolutionary slash Civil War reenactors? Uh, yes. Um, one of the events I do a year is actually it's post-revolutionary, but it's called Regency Time Period. Mm-hmm. So it was early American, but after the Revolution. Um, that I brilliantly do one event a year for that, uh, and then the rest of the stuff I do is Civil War. Cool. So what do you uh what do you have to do to be a reenactor? Like do you have to have all the the schooling or do you just have to have a pewter mug passion? <laughs> it depends on the kind of event you're doing. Um to get the full uh experience out of doing it, 
it is better to kind of pick a type of person, persona or character that you want to play. Um, do you like for most guys are going to want to be a soldier? Do you want to go in being a private? Do you want to do cavalry? Are you going to do artillery? You kind of have to make some of those decisions because that will also influence the gear that you need or the uniform that you wear or just clothes that you're wearing in general, depending on which part of reenacting you want to go into. Um, for women, there's not as many variations. Uh, you could be uh, a wealthy woman and dress in, you know, more fancy attire, or you could be, you know, a poor woman from a farm community who is going to be more in work dresses and just day dresses with, you know, aprons and your hair up and women after a marrying age, your hair was always up. Um, you, you were not allowed to wear it down huh? based on society's rules. So braids and buns and those kinds of things were, it's, it's still, uh, cutting your hair short was still taboo though, correct? Yes. As a general rule. Yeah. Um, they usually had really long hair, um, much, much longer than what we are used to these days. Um, a lot of times the only time you would see a woman with really short hair was because it was cut for health reasons. You know, if they got lice or if they, you know, some other disease that it was just for cleanliness that they would cut it short and then they would grow back out. Huh. That's the cool thing about history, though. It's like, yes, it's the past and yes, it's already happened, but... Uh depending on who's because history is told by the winners correct oh yeah and uh at least that's what i've heard so i have heard um yeah a lot of it i would say that and and with a recent uh you know sociological like uh what am i trying to say uh with uh the things that have been going on recently in the world um there's been a lot more attention that's being brought up to the quote-unquote losers, the underdogs, the people who aren't the winners or the white men. The wealthy. Yes, the wealthy white men. And so so there's a lot more that's coming out now that we're learning about, about women and about minorities and about, you know, the uh, other folks who ha have played just a strong role in history uh, but just didn't have as good PR. Is that fair to say? Yes. And I think one of the things that is different for someone who is truly a historian um, and the hardcore reenactors is they will do the research down to the, the average soldier, not just the aristocracy or the officers that came from wealthy families and bought their commissions into the army or, you know, the Southern Bells and the plantation owners. If you actually read letters that were sent back home from the average soldier on both sides of the war or anywhere in history, you start looking at things that were written by the average person and you get a better understanding of what society was like at that point. How does, how much does that differ from what we've been taught in school? You know, what the average person's been taught in school? Oh, quite a bit. You get, you kind of get glossed over on what life would have been like for, uh, a poor farmer um, but to actually understand the reasons that some of those farmers were willing to go and fight this war differs from the aristocracy and why they were fighting the war on both sides um, 
society as a whole within the United States. It was a lot of, you were more loyal to your state than you were to the country as a whole. We were still in our infancy, I guess you can say, as a, as a nation. And it came from the, the colony mentality, the 13 colonies. And it was, you know, the colony of Virginia and it became the state of Virginia. And that was still part of the way they thought of themselves as a community or as a group. It, yes, we were all part of this union, but you were loyal to your home state. And that changed after the war. And that's why a lot of the soldiers, especially um, officers that had been in the U.S. Army prior to the war, chose to fight for the South instead of staying with the Army that they had spent their entire adult career in. And many of them were trained at West Point. It was because they were fighting for their home. Their home was being attacked. They were being told, you know, what to do, what not to do, how, to, how their state should make their own laws. And they thought that they were more autonomous. So they went and fought back for their home state. Yeah, it definitely puts a more human uh, bent to it than just, you know, uh, industrialization and, you know, these larger concepts of slavery and, you know, that are hard to grasp, hard to get a get behind. You know, mm-hmm. obviously slavery is bad. Why is there a war about it? But... You know, when you break it down to the individuals, the more personal levels, the the, the details of the story, nothing's ever, uh, no pun intended, black and white. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. And I mean, even the, the average everyday soldier, that their family had never owned a slave. They were never going to own a slave. They could have cared less if the plantation 10 miles down the road had slaves or not. I don't think they we were either. fighting for their home country their, or their home state. Yeah, I don't think we hear much about that. I know I haven't. I didn't even consider people. Yeah. It's always about slavery. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. pretty much. And, I mean, that was the biggest driving point that, point that initiated and kicked off the war was the decision over whether slavery was legal or should be legal or not. But when it actually came to joining and fighting, there was much more that went into it. It was pride in your state and... To them, the federal government was overreaching and was coming to invade their home. Makes sense. So when you're doing these reenactings, what kind? What's the uh, the scope of the people who are participating? Uh, Are you know? Are they usually older people, or do you see a lot of young folks? Um, uh, It's definitely a mix. Um, I was in my early twenties when I started. Um, doing it there, you see a lot of families that do it, that, you know, their kids have grown up doing this with the adults and they continue to do it beyond that. Um, in my case, I started it on my own because it was something I wanted to do. Um, and I ended up dragging my son along. And he's real big into it now, right? Does he do these things on his own or does he still do them with just you? Primarily, we both go to the same events. Uh, there have been a handful of events that it's more central to the guys, and there's not really a whole lot of a woman's impression that can be done at those events, or some of which that I just didn't have time to go, um, and he would go and do them on his own. Uh, the group that we actually belonged to had a separate subgroup um, that did some more hardcore 
events that were like very, very authentic down to the stitch count and hand stitching on your uniforms kind of thing. Oh, goodness. Um, so there, there are different, there's a whole spectrum of reenactors out there. Um, and so that he has done one or two events with that hardcore group as well as with our larger mainstream group. That's all I honestly I think all this stuff is like super awesome. Yeah. I think to go back to one of the the earlier question on what you need to do to be a marine actor. Absolutely. Um there's I mean one of the things obviously once you figure out what you want to do is finding the group to do it with. There are some individuals who will just sign up for an event and find a group at that specific event to fall in with as far as a soldier where they'll just hey you know, can I join your group for the weekend? Um, but most of the time you are part of a group that you, the whole group does events together. So um, ours, it was um, the 6th Ohio Infantry is the specific company we were portraying at most of, at uh, you know, in general. But at some events, that specific company wasn't there. So they would take on the role of one of the companies that was there. Um, ah, okay. So it's it's better to have a group like that. Sure, it's kind of you know it's like, hey, we want to we want to play in the softball game. We already have our, you know, we already have our team together. Let's just put yeah. it, you know, being adaptable. Yeah. And yeah, so um, they would actually go into the point of sometimes doing history of individual soldiers from the group that they were portraying and telling you the history of that person and what happened to them at that specific battle. Wow. That's pretty fantastic. That is really impressive. Have you guys found... I don't know if all companies do that, but ours did that. A pretty decent number of events. Sometimes they would even try and they would find pictures of, of the company at certain events. And if the building or structure or, you know, area was still at that battlefield that they were doing it, the reenactment at, uh-huh. they would try and recreate that picture. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, that, we really got into the geekdom there. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you communicate with folks, to put a face to an abstract thought. You know, the, the fact that this happened, you know, however many years ago, there's a distance, there's a disconnect, there's... You know, it's history. It doesn't matter anymore. But no, like these were individuals with lives, with feelings, you know, with motivations. You know, they want the same things that we want today. And, you know, we're not that different. Right. Right. And it also proves that no matter what your thing is, you can find people who that's their thing too. Exactly. Always find mm-hmm. your fellow nerds somewhere. Um, in your In your research with your group have you found any um descendants or current living relatives um actually some of the people from our group um had ancestors in the original six ohio nice. so at some events they were actually portraying their own ancestor oh wow yeah unfortunately uh my ancestors were from a different ohio group <laughs> that doesn't have a reenacting group put together so but you found them yeah, we have um, at least one on our side, and then Drew actually has one or two from his father's side that um, they have information on. Oh, that's fantastic. 
yeah, uh, my grandmother was real big into genealogy, and so it was cool have, um, you know, she would do all this research and talk to all these people, and, you know, it's like, um, her, her line, her family line was, um, from Norway, and so she was able to, you know, track when, uh, ancestors came over to America from Norway, and then she went to Norway and found the family farm, um, that her great-grandfather came from, and the church that has the Bible in it, that has his name, and the year that he was born, and then it just says America, because they didn't know what happened to him afterwards, <laughs> you know, so she was able to go back and fill in the information into this, you know, centuries-old Bible saying, yes, he died on this day, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. and it's, no, that's cool. yeah, it's, I mean, it's awesome to be able to have these kind of ties. Yeah, we were talking about the letters at the museum, Aaron Burr, and we were talking about that in a previous episode. Ah, uh, between Hamilton and Burr. Yeah. Yes. It was fantastic reading those. It's so, I don't even know. It's something else, like when you're just sitting there reading or watching or in the presence of something that's so old. Mm-hmm. I think that's a lot of what gets me into history, too, is just looking at things and, you know, this belonged to somebody how many centuries ago or, you know, yes. this made it across the ocean with them when they immigrated here three generations ago and it's still in the same family. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I think I think that fascination is one of the reasons why I'm such a hoarder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it's like I it's like this someday will be an artifact <laughs> and, you know, will help tell the story of you know, this generation and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Corey looks at me like, nope, nope, nobody's going to want that cup. Just throw it out. In, re- <laughs> in reality, the only thing you're going to find is like uh, what I had heard was T-shirt, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's things that have been, you know, came from my grandparents. I just can't let go of. Like, they don't serve a purpose anymore, but I can't let go of it. Right. Yeah. It's, cause it's it, a little piece of them. Yep. Because of the history. Yeah. Tells a story. Down to the rolling pin I use on a regular basis. Well, I'm sure you're putting that rolling pin to good use, though. You are a damn fine cook. Thank you. (laughs) So is that one of the things that you do uh, as part of your reenactment, historical cooking? Um, I do. Um, When we go to the events, yeah, I mean, I cook over the fire with you know, cast iron and everything, you know, we don't have real stoves or microwaves or things like that. So, yeah, I mean, everything we cook, it's either you take stuff with you that doesn't need to be cooked, like raw vegetables or fruit, um, or you cook it on the fire. Uh, we try and keep it, anything that the the spectators are going to be able to see, we try and keep authentic to the time period. Just like um, a little dinty more in there. Right. <laughs> like, if you're going to do that, you pour it into your pot inside your tent where they can't see it and right. throw it away and hide your garbage bag and then just take it out to the fire to heat it up. Yep. So do you actually do that sometimes? Um, not a lot with canned stuff. The only time I think I've really done that is I made um, homemade chicken noodle soup over the fire. And I took prepackaged chicken broth and chicken stock with me 
um, just to add the flavor. But I cooked the chicken there in the skillet or like in the Dutch oven first and then added the rest of the ingredients for the soup. It's not much of a cheat. That's kind of like, no. oh, oh, you know, a light it's cheat. It's like taking bottled water or something. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was, but yeah, everything else I cooked there. Yeah, I've I probably... made stew. I've made chicken noodle soup. I always uh, welcome neighbors into the neighborhood by getting a bag of Oreos, putting them in a Tupperware container and taking them over, telling them they're freshly baked cookies. <laughs> Do they buy it? <laughs> well, either either they, they appreciate me or they don't. And if they don't, then they just think I'm nuts and they don't bother me. Win-win. Yeah, either way. Yeah. That seems golden. And I get a fucking Oreo. <laughs> uh, so. So, you know who else likes Oreos? Who? Our sponsor. Do you have a lot of weird theater stuff that needs a new home, and you prefer it doesn't just go into the dumpster? Reset likes the weird stuff. With ResetYourSet.com, you can find listings to buy, sell, and rent items that folks in the industry will truly appreciate. Go find them on Instagram, Facebook, at ResetYourSet, and check out the site that offers so much more. ResetYourSet.com So how have you seen, like, people romanticizing this era or, you know, any others? This one specifically, I think, with Hollywood, um, especially movies like Gone with the Wind, where you see primarily the, the Southern Belle and the gentleman and, you know, the balls and life was great. And even up north, um, kind of the, the other side of it, where you've got the impression of the northerners were these, you know, hardcore religious fanatic um, abolitionists and... Or, you know, even the aristocracy up there, but you don't see the true nature of what made them be able to have that kind of money. Some of it was the slavery in the South, but people completely ignore the fact that the Irish immigrants and the German immigrants and the Polish and, you know, whatever other immigrants that were coming across and coming into New York and um, yeah, Philadelphia and all of the port cities weren't really treated much better and sometimes worse than the slaves were down south. Nobody pays attention to that. It's you, They don't even cover it in most movies or books about the time frame. Right. Even There's... in history books, they don't mention the a lot of that. What do you think that is? People don't want to hear the bad stuff. They just want to hear how good it was before. Right. People you know, don't... They want the yeah. positive. They don't want to look at the reality of what things are keeps it and you see that now too oh yeah nobody i mean you've got more and more people trying to step up and say take a look at what our society is really like you know you're romanticizing america (laughs) right yeah and our our past has been bloody and rude and awful and to to everybody you know um we from the day the first settlers hit Roanoke. Yep. It's been, you know, it's been one, you know, go F yourself after another. <laughs> I mean, if you ever expect humanity to be good and decent as a whole. I th- well, we try, but that's the thing is nobody ever wants to admit that they're wrong and people don't like hearing that they're wrong, you know, and so it's easier to, to generalize 
and to come up with a, a concept that you don't have to put an individual's face on. You know, so it's the whole idea of... Exactly. The rich versus the poor, the north versus the south, the slaver versus the slave, the... Um, uh, uh, the Democrat versus the Republican, the you know. Potato chip versus my mouth. Well, your mouth always wins, though. That's true. So. <laughs> always. Yeah. But it's it's a lot easier. Except to... for that little piece that falls on the floor. It sits on my boobs, like on my shirt, and then like I don't realize it's there. And but that's for later. I look like I don't know how to eat chips. <laughs> you just look like everybody else that eats chips and has boobs. <laughs> right. <laughs> your little saver saving them on my tray oh totally titty tray yeah i mean it is funny just how uh how thing how much things do repeat themselves you know it's like we're still dealing with the same bullshit the same daily struggles the same you know everybody wants a, a piece of the pie everybody wants to be treated fairly you know and everybody thinks that they're not being treated fairly that's true you know yeah so we all have it the worst. Yeah, you kind of kind of wonder if the founding fathers, so to speak, had any idea by not making the decision way back then when they made the Constitution and you know abolishing slavery then, how much of an impact it would have on the country two hundred plus years later. Right, right. Yeah, if they could have just put their foot down then, how? Uh... Yeah. How that could have changed the course of things. Mm-hmm. Ah, see, that would have been a good one to talk about in our science fiction uh, episode. Right, alternate universes. Yes, yes, we talked, we touched on alternate universes and how it's a, it's a great method to explore what could have been. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah, that would have been a good one. What if I hadn't dropped potato chip remnants on my shirt? Who knows? Who knows where we could be right now? I could be the president of the United States. Well, the the bar has been set low. So. <laughs> achievable. <laughs> it is. It is definitely achievable now by everybody. Which you know, it silver lining, right? You too can be president. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No. I'm looking for the good things. Um. So, with uh, COVID. And whatnot, how has that affected reenacting? Any of the larger scale events were canceled and most of the smaller events as well. Um, I think there are some of the hardcore smaller groups that kind of do their own little private events that have still been happening. But the vast majority of them were canceled um, for the year. Have you taken any of this time to try to, uh, I don't know... Uh, enhance any of your gear or you know do any of projects you're like man if i only had time nope <laughs> <laughs> i have had fabric for two new dresses for eight years oh that sounds like and me. i haven't made the dresses yeah we have too. also had other projects going on in the house through this process too though, so. oh that's true you've been uh you've been remodeling yeah 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 that's priorities yeah, the uh, majority of my fabric and sewing stuff is still in boxes stacked on top of my sewing machine. Well, at least you know where it is. That's always a good... Uh... Yeah, that's step one. <laughs> <laughs> They've made it into the correct room. Uh, so you said you've been doing this since uh, your early 20s. 
Have uh, yes. have you uh, gotten any flack for it, or have people been supportive? Um, a little bit of both. Um, I think people hear that you're a reenactor, and the first thing that comes to their mind: Oh, do you do the Ren Fest? No, that's the <laughs> wrong time period. <laughs> right, right. It's all the same. Yeah, you're a couple hundred years off, but that's cool. <laughs> right. Um, I get a lot of, oh, you do Civil War? Are you North or South? And, you know, my specific unit is a Northern unit, but it's like, you know, what if I say South? What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Are you going to shun me for life? <laughs> are you just interested? You get, I mean, there are stereotypes that you definitely see portrayed in movies and TV shows about what reenactors are like. Um, similar to what you see with cosplay and, you know, the Comic-Cons and all of that and the people dressing up as Wookiees and Stormtroopers and, you know, you get that the same kind of just stigma about it. Like, you're, you're nothing but nerds and geeks and, you know, you're a dork for doing that. Why would you do that? And It's a waste of time. See, anything you enjoy is not a waste of time. I agree. And the a large majority of historical reenactors are teachers. And it's just another outlet for them to teach a subject they're passionate about. And for them to have a reason to continue to learn about a subject. And what more fun can you have? I mean, it... you get to hang it. You get to, like, go camping for, you know, a couple days, a weekend, what, a week. And... You know, you get to play a different persona, you get to learn something, you get to hang around a bunch of people who are interested in the same stuff you're into. I think that sounds awesome. Right. Yeah, I think that's been one of the hardest things with not having any events this year is I miss my boys. I mm. miss sitting around the campfire with all the guys and just the camaraderie and choking around and just the sights, the smells, just being around the people. Oh, sure. Yeah, I think a lot of people are... Or feeling the same way. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of people are trying to deny that there's going to be a fall lockdown. Now, there's, a, there's another event that you do on Labor Day. Yes. Uh, Labor Day weekend. But uh, you want to talk about that a little bit? Because you got the whole family involved in that one, right? Yeah. Somehow, I'm not completely sure how that really happened. It just kind of evolved that way. But... um. It is a Regency period trades fair. Um, it's called the Fair at New Boston. Um, I started out doing that one 21. This would have been my 21st year doing that event, uh, working at one of the taverns, the, the specific. It's a trades fair, so it would be where people from the local community would come together and bring things that they make to sell or sell food and clothes or crafts. Or, you know, just get together and see everybody. It's kind of like a state fair now. Um, and there are three taverns set up at the event. And I started working at one of the taverns. And now I run one of them as the, the manager, basically, of the tavern for the weekend. Heck yeah. Nice. Yeah. I refer to it as my beer wenching weekend. <laughs> nice. And so, yeah. So this is one of the cases where you were involved in reenactment uh you were involved in the history you liked it you're excited about it you got a part of it but then you got your sisters involved as well correct 
Uh, yeah, it actually started out with um, my sister's in-laws have been doing the event for, I think, about four or five years more than I have. And they were in charge of the committee that ran all of the taverns. And we went up just to, hey, what is this all about? Um, she was going to be taking part for the weekend, and we thought it would be fun to just go see what she was doing. And I had started looking into finding a civil war group to be a part of prior to that, but I hadn't found one yet. And we went up, and I was like, this looks like so much fun. Can I stay and help for the rest of the weekend? And so they let me stay, and I've been doing it every year ever since. Um, that was the only year that Jen was doing it, so I actually did it for probably four or five years with no one else from the family going up besides her in-laws. Uh -huh. um, and then the family would come up to see it as spectators for a couple years. And then all of a sudden, hey, I want to come do that too. Okay, fine. Come on. Especially when I started, when I took over running my own tavern. Um, then... Yeah, Karen started coming and participating and... Well, because there's alcohol. I mean... Yes. You know, yes. It's free alcohol all weekend, so why wouldn't you want to come dress up in funny clothes and... Heck yeah. Go have fun. Um, and then I started letting my son come up and my mom and dad started helping for a couple years. And then, yeah, when Jen and Matt moved back from Chicago, they started coming um, every year again. That's fantastic. And, yeah. Um, my son used to work down at one of the other food vending booths when he was younger, but now that he is of age, he works at the tavern with me. Very cool. And so, so it's a whole bunch of tradesmen. So you could see people who uh, do leather work and metal and wood and stuff like that. Yes. In the their traditional uh, ways that you build things. Do they do classes at all? Will they teach you how to do those things or? You can just watch. Yeah, um, as you're walking around, any most of the artisans are actually there demonstrating how they do their craft. Uh, there are blacksmiths who are working with iron while you're there. Um, there is a chair maker who you and I, you can actually see using the period authentic tools uh, like draw knives and that to make the the spindles for the backs of the chairs. Awesome. There's a weaver. Um, and they all stay in first-person character while you were talking to them, um, which is what's really cool. Some are better than others at it. I am not as good as I could be when it comes to staying in first-person. I end up kind of going back to modern lingo <clears throat> quite often. But there are some that are very, very good at staying in first-person the entire time they're there, um, even after hours once the public is off the field. They will still stay in character for the entire weekend. Wow, that's a deep dive. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Some people really get into it. Um, some people take on different names during the events. Oh, um, like like what? Like what would be a period name from? Well, um, Jen's in-laws actually go by what their family ancestors' names were. So um, his real name is um, Andrew, but he goes by Franz. Franz. That's such a great name. Or Hans. Sorry, Hans. Well, Hans and Franz. That's as far as I remember. Pump you pump up. You up. There you go. All right. Yeah. And he actually, um, in modern dress, he has a prosthetic leg. But when he is in his period clothes for that event, he has a wooden peg leg. 
Yes. That's what I'm talking about. pretty awesome when you see him walking around the field. They're like, is that real? And he says, yes. Like, where'd he hide it? It's like, well. Right. (laughs) He was real into the reenactment, so. (laughs) Just chopped it right off. Uh, That event also has, um, there's a small Indian village where they actually do demonstrations on um, what the life was like in the Indian villages in the area back then. Uh Um, There is a militia encampment, and then there's also a camp of regular soldiers um, that would have been there for safety during the event for the, you know, just... In general, instead of police, because they didn't really have police, you know, as we think of them now. But the militia and the uh, army would have been around to keep provide security and safety. And yeah. So are they actual security guards that are in garb or? Uh, no, no, <laughs> uh, they're not. Uh... No, they're just folks. Yeah, um, there. I mean, there's always safety behind any of the events you go to. There are always several um, ambulance staffed with EMTs at all events, just in case, because most events you are still working with live black powder. Um, uh, there are no projectiles, but you still have black powder going on at the events, and you have to have certain safety measures in place for that. And so the EMTs are always on site for that. Because um, accidents happen. We had one, I'm going to say probably eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the Indians during the battle reenactment at that uh, Labor Day event, um, his gun misfired or something went wrong and he ended up pretty severely burned. And oh. they had to rush him to the hospital. Yeah, that stuff happens all the time. You got to watch out. I mean, it's still an explosive. Uh, yeah, so Mandy, do you have any uh, advice for any folks who are interested in this kind of thing and want to uh, join a reenactment group? Best thing I would suggest is go out to an event. Um, most of the time, the people that you were, you see at the events are more than willing to give you information to contact them to, to join their group. Some groups actually have uh, loaner gear, um, at least for the soldiers, that because it's a, it's a very expensive hobby. And if you're not quite sure if you want to do it, um, they have stuff that they can loan you for a weekend to try it out for a weekend for an event. So that's the easiest way to try and get a hold of them. Um, you can, I mean, definitely Googling specific Civil War groups, if you know names of them. At a lot of the event web pages, you can actually find out what groups are there and you don't usually have contact information for them, but you can at least find the name of the group, and then you can Google that group. Do you have any advice uh, for people who've been made fun of? To me, it's screw them. As long as you're not hurting yourself or somebody else, do what makes you happy. If this is what you like doing, then do it. Breach. Amen. Yeah. I get made fun of by my sisters all the time for the funny dresses, but they still think it's pretty cool that I do it. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, totally. Well, I mean... it. If you can't get made fun by your sister, like, what's the point of living? Yeah. I get called the cookie jar because we have a cookie jar that looks like a a woman in a Civil War period dress. (laughs) Nice. Oh, I remember. You were her for Halloween one year. Yeah, I was. (laughs) That's awesome. And I walked around holding the cookie jar with me. Yeah. (laughs) Excellent. Well, you just got to have fun with it. 
Oh, exactly. And that's the thing. Like, if you have a passion for something and you enjoy it, then just then just do it because it's going to make you happy. It's going to make you a better person. There's always going to be somebody who's interested in what you're doing. And, you know, it's what makes life enjoyable. Yeah, I agree. There are actually groups out there um, specifically just on learning more about the Civil War. Um, so you don't have to be a reenactor to get into learning more about it. It's called the uh, Civil War Roundtable. Um, and, you know, they have a group here in Cincinnati and they meet once a month. And each month there's a different lecturer who will do research on a specific topic related to the Civil War. Fantastic. And, I, know, I, I had a, a principal in elementary school who was real big on the Civil War. And so every year, whenever um, the classes got to that section in history, you know, he would come and, and tell stories and, and show artifacts that he had collected himself uh, that, as the reenactors are doing, put a little more of a personal uh, spin on it because one of his ancestors, he was able to uh, track down the history of and, you know, so would talk about how he was a soldier in the war, et cetera, et cetera. And it, honestly, that was one of the things that I, I remembered, obviously, because I'm telling the story, uh, but it was fascinating uh, being able to see that this is actually something that happened and not just names and dates. Yeah. Um, Drew and I actually have gone a couple times to his grandfather's school. Um, his his uh, grandfather on his dad's side is a teacher at a small private school. And like every other year, he'll, you know, they go through the Civil War in the history class he teaches. And we have gone in and done a presentation for the class, you know, go in our period clothes and walk through, you know, different historical stuff about the time period. Um, I've even taken extra clothes and um, pulled one of the girls out of the class and dressed her up in the period and to show them how many layers of clothes goes into what a woman actually wore on a daily basis. Oh, I bet you that blew their minds. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I get mad just because I got to wear a bra. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, can you shit. imagine a minimum of four layers of clothes on a 90 degree summer day? I'd never get dressed. Yeah, that is one of the downsides to reenacting is you have to be willing to be miserable. That yeah. sounds like so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> Visit our website at wihhw.com where you can sign up for our newsletter, see guest links and information, and some fancy extras. Also, check us out on Facebook at, at What I Had Heard Was and Instagram at What I Had Heard. And if you really want to get something off your chest, Shoot us an email at what I had heard was at gmail.com.